to open your Bibles, please. Come to the end of 1 Peter. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 14 this morning. Um, what is my uh, desire for Walton Evangelical Church? As I'm uh, passing the baton on, what is my wish for you folks? It's this, that you stand firm. And that when I, you know, ring people up or get letters or hear about you, I will hear that you're all standing firm for Jesus Christ. That's my desire for you, that whatever happens, you folks stand firm. Actually, that was the Apostle Peter's desire for the folks that he was writing to. If you've got your Bibles, look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 9. It says, resist him, that's the devil, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. Or look at the next verse, verse 10. Um, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And then look at verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So you get the impression, don't you, that Peter is concerned that uh, the church of Jesus Christ stands firm, whatever Satan throws at us. Now, if you go to Bournemouth, and I hope you will, one of the things that will impress you is obviously the beach and the, the cliffs and the view of the Isle of Wight. But another thing which will impress you is that there are so many roads, and as you drive down them, you're driving through avenues of trees. Lots of great oak trees lining the sides of the road. And it's phenomenal. It's beautiful. Actually, for the people who run uh, Bournemouth Council, the trees are much more important than anything else. So if you have a house there and you've got a tree in the way, then you have to move your house because <laughs> you can't move your tree. They're not going to allow you to move the trees. And sadly, there are always some young kids driving their cars far too fast down roads as rat runs. And they swerve off the road and they bash into one of these trees. And you can see the next day the crumpled up car. They burn on the uh, bark of the tree. But that tree hasn't moved a millimeter. It is firm. It doesn't matter what crashes into it. It doesn't matter. I mean, we don't get much snow in Bournemouth. We do get frost. And the trees stand the frost. If we get drier summers, the trees stand the drought. They are firm and steadfast. And that's what we must be like as Christians. We must be standing strong for Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean to stand strong then? Well, what it doesn't mean is that you're just dogmatic over everything. I'm right on this, and I'm right on that, and I'm right on the other, and I'm not flexible, and I'm not going to fit in with others. I'm right, I'm standing here, and I'm going to do my own thing. Now, that isn't standing firm. That's being proud, isn't it? And if you read the three or four verses before these that we looked at last time, it's all saying, be humble, be humble, be humble, be humble. So don't say, yeah, I'm right, and I'm going to stand here, and no one's going to teach me. That's not what it means to stand firm. 
What it means to stand firm is that when the gospel is under attack, you don't compromise. When your morality is under attack, you don't compromise. When it's hard to love people, you still love them. When it's so easy to have wrong and selfish ambitions, you resist them. And you're going to stand firm being like Jesus Christ. We can think of so many illustrations of this. We can think of the early church and the story of Polycarp, the uh, bishop of Smyrna, who at the age of 86 was arrested and was going to be burned at the stake. And they said to him, look, you're an old guy. Why go through this? Just deny Jesus Christ. And he said, what? Jesus Christ has been faithful to me every day of my life, and you want me to be unfaithful to him? And so he stood firm and died a martyr at the stake. Or Martin Luther, when the Roman Catholic Church had gone so bad in the Middle Ages, and he was a challenge, well, he was challenging them with his writings, and they had decided to bring him before the Diet of Worms, the German Inquisition, where he was likely to get executed, and they gave him the chance. You can retract what you said. And he asked for uh, 24 hours to think about it. And the next day he stood before these people who were baying for his blood. And he said, unless you can show me by the clear teachings of Scripture and common sense that what I've said is wrong, unless you can show me it's wrong, I won't take back anything. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Now that's standing firm, isn't it? When the whole pressure is against you, you stand firm. Uh, Brother Andrew, uh, he says Islam, I-S-L-A-M, stands for, wonder what you think it stands for, he says. Because we're in a day where we're so frightened of Islam, and we're so frightened of the new atheism, and we're so frightened of LGBT and all these other groups that we think of them as the enemy, and we can end up fighting them if we're not careful. And we're not to fight against flesh and blood. I-S-L-A-M. Brother Andrew says, stands for, I sincerely love all Muslims. Now that's a challenge in these days, isn't it? To love as Christ loved. To go the second mile. To stand firm in our following of Jesus Christ. Now Simon Peter stood firm. He, you know, we say he, he was called Rocky, wasn't he? Jesus said to him, you're Peter, meaning a stone. And upon this rock I will build my church. And actually Simon Peter had a rocky start. But he became a man of rock, didn't he? He became firm and strong. And the word Peter means stone. It's where we get the word petrify from. Now, we think of petrify as being frightened, don't we? But actually, what it really means is to be made into stone. And if you go to a place like Wookie Hole, how many people have been to Wookie Hole? Yes, yeah, some of us. You can see they have these stalactites hanging from the ceiling, and they drip, just little drips of this kind of liquid stone, and it falls on the ground, and it's caused stalagmites to grow. And some people have got a little soft teddy bear, 
And they put the little soft teddy bear on the ground under one of these stalactites. And the, the liquid stone has dripped onto the little soft, cuddly, fluffy teddy bear. And over the years, that little fluffy teddy bear has become petrified. It has turned to stone. And Peter, by God's grace, became strong and firm, rocky. And he writes to you and he says, you can become rocky too. <laughs> so how do we become uh, people of rock? How can we stand firm? Three things, basically uh, three paragraphs, verses 8 and 9, first paragraph, verse 10 and 11, second paragraph, and then 12 to 14, the end section. Three points. First of all, then, we must resist the devil, verses 8 and 9. There's no doubt that there are evil forces at work in the world. No doubt about it. Someone said, I don't believe in the devil. Well, who's doing his work if he doesn't exist? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This is your responsibility. You must resist the devil. It's not going to happen by accident. You won't wake up in 10 years' time and say, oh, look at that's great, I've resisted the devil. It won't happen by accident. No one else can do it for you. Your mum and dad can't do it for you. Your neighbours can't do it for you. You've got to do this for yourself. And if you don't, the devil will devour you. And one of the saddest things about being a minister today is knowing all these other ministers who have made shipwreck of their lives, or ruined their marriages, ruined their ministries, ruined their churches, because they didn't take seriously their responsibility to resist the devil. You see, Satan is on the prowl. Look at that, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around. A lion tends not to attack a herd, but it looks for the animal that has just slipped to the edge of the herd or slipped behind the group. It looks for those who are isolated. And he's prowling around looking for people whom he can destroy. And um, there are those who are asleep in the devil's territory. And when he finds us, he devours us. Satan is on the prowl, and he's roaring. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, I thought, isn't it stupid? If you're a lion and you're prowling around, what you want to do is keep your presence secret. You don't want to be roaring because then everybody knows you're around. What on earth does a lion want to roar for if it's out to catch you? And then I decided to do some homework and look up why lions roar. And lions roar to frighten, to petrify the animals they want to catch. A bit like a, a rabbit in the headlights. When you hear a lion roar, it scares the living daylights out of you. 
I read a book by a Christian zookeeper, and he was telling stories from his life as a zookeeper. And he's told about when they had the new zookeeper first time in, and he went into the back of the lion enclosure, and you had these walls, and the lion roared. And that roar rumbled down the stone corridors, and the new zookeeper just fainted on the spot. You know? You would think you would turn and run. It's worse than that. The roaring of a lion paralyzes us with fear. And we have found times in our life when we found it almost too difficult to go forward because that roar paralyzes us with fear. Well, we've got to be self-controlled and alert, we read there in verse 8. If we're going to resist the devil, we've got to make sure we are self-controlled. Now, self-discipline isn't popular today. If there's anything that's popular today, it's that you should be allowed to express your feelings. You should be allowed to do just what you want to do. You should be allowed to be you. Don't show self-discipline. And so we have a rising generation that cannot show self-discipline and is just running wild. And they're destroying others and they're destroying themselves and they're destroying society. You know what it's like when you see a wild horse and it, it's just so aggressive, so frightened, so a danger to everything. But then the trainer comes along, the horse whisperer deals with him. And that wild horse becomes a beautiful, beautiful racehorse or a majestic horse pulling the royal carriages or something, because it's been trained. It's self-controlled. And Peter says, we need to show self-control. St. Francis of Assisi, great guy, he used to call his body Brother Donkey, because <laughs> he, he said his body seems to have a will of its own, and it's a bit like a donkey. And you have to train it. You have to discipline it. But when it's got self-control, oh, then it's wonderful. And Peter says, be self-controlled. We need to discipline ourselves with, you know, the private uh, spiritual disciplines, the spending time in prayer, spending time studying the Bible, uh, in, in secret being generous. Let's make sure that we have these private disciplines. And the public disciplines of public worship like this, of... Um, using our gifts, serving in ministries, just showing love one to another, all this, disciplining ourselves to be what Christ wants you to be. You say, but it's not natural, it's not me. It will become natural. You find any golfer, when he starts playing golf, his swing is terrible. The ball doesn't go where he wants to go, but through discipline, through practice, he gets good. And you say, well, you know, I don't like you know, people. Why should I show them love? Discipline yourself, and bit by bit, it will become second nature. Be self-controlled and resist him. How do we resist the devil? Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Revelation 12 tells us that by the the blood of Jesus Christ, the word of our testimony, and the fact that we don't We'll even sacrifice our lives. That's how we defeat the devil. Jesus Christ has won the victory. We rest in that. We preach the gospel. 
and we will sacrifice ourselves. That's how we stand firm. One of the great events in history was the Battle of Thermopylae in 480 BC when Xerxes had his Persian army and they were marching into Greece to try and uh, take over the whole world in those days. And tradition tells us that Xerxes had an army of one million soldiers. He probably didn't. He probably didn't have any more than 150,000 but it looked like a million. And they came to Thermopylae, and the Spartans, there were just 300 Spartan soldiers, and there was this small pass. And these 300 Spartans stood facing the Persian army of a million, <laughs> as they thought, soldiers. And each of them was committed to stand to the very end. Not one of them fled. And for three days, the Persians kept attacking, cutting them down, and the next one would stand forward and fight. And they held off the whole Persian army for three days. Phenomenal how they stood firm. Well, for Jesus Christ, let's stand firm, resist the devil. What's the second thing we must do? Verses 10 and 11, we must rest in God's power. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, we've spoken about human responsibility. This is divine sovereignty. This is what God does, and we need to rest in God's power. Because although we've got to stand firm, and we've got to resist the devil. We cannot do this in our own strength. You know, ask me to resist the devil. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that little flea, isn't it? You know, a fly on the, the uh, window, and you just splat it, and it's gone. Now, the devil just splat me like that in my own strength. And so I need to know his power. I need to know his strength. I need to rest in God's power and realize that he is the God of all grace. I don't know whether you've been seeing that in the news this past week, there's been a bit of a, I don't know whether it's a hoo-ha or a debate or whatever, because Rosemary West, in prison, has professed to be converted and to follow Jesus Christ. Now, those of you who don't know, Fred West and Rosemary West, they, they uh, took people, sexually abused them, killed them, buried them uh, in the uh, cellar under the concrete. And then they were arrested. And uh, in prison, Rosemary West has professed to have found peace with God. And there's a lot of people who say, that's not fair. You know, she doesn't deserve it. She's so evil. She's so vile. And to think that she could do all that and then get forgiven and go to heaven, <laughs> it just doesn't seem fair. And let me tell you, that's the gospel. It's not fair. It's not fair. And Rosemary West doesn't deserve to be forgiven her sin and go to heaven. And Chris Kelly doesn't deserve to be forgiven and go to heaven. And none of us do. And it doesn't matter whether our sins are like that or like that or even like that. None of us deserve forgiveness. But God is the God of all grace. And it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what our past is. The power of Jesus Christ's death, the love of God's heart, is so much greater than anything we can do. And 
His grace washes us clean, forgives us. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. It doesn't matter whether we are the thief on the cross next to Jesus or whether we're the centurion who has um, uh, overseen the crucifixion or whether we are Simon Peter who has uh, denied Jesus Christ and run away. There's forgiveness for all of us because God is the God of all grace. Now, we kind of think that we need to earn our salvation. We need to do things as if we're saved by law. And then when we make a mess of things, we feel so condemned because we think it all depends upon us. And we forget <laughs> it all depends upon Jesus Christ. And God is the God of all grace. Grace that not only saves us, but grace that helps us. This is what grace means. It's a wonderful word. I, I think of the difference between me and Alec Apted. Alec has a toolbox. And in his toolbox, he has tools that fit every kind of uh, screw, bolt, whatever. Me, in my toolbox, I've got an old kitchen knife, which is bent at the top. <laughs> and virtually nothing. And God, you know, he's got a toolbox of grace. And he's got all grace. So it doesn't matter what your need is. He has grace to help you. Grace to forgive you. Grace to save you. Grace to remake you. And he makes us strong. His grace doesn't merely forgive us, but it picks us up, stands us on our feet. And God puts things right. Now partially, but then fully. Look at verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. That might be for weeks, it might be months, it might be the whole of our life. But he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. A week and a half ago, I flew to Sicily. I did. I flew to Sicily. Aren't you amazed? but not in my own strength. I got in the plane, and its power took me to Sicily. And we can be strong and firm, but not in our own strength, but because we're trusting in Jesus Christ. And finally, not only do we need to resist the devil and rest in God's power, but thirdly, we need to relate to God's people. You see, this is something we've got to do, and this is something we can't do in our own strength, so we need God's strength. And this is something we're not called to do on our own. We do it as part of God's family, verses 12 to 14. And we're to help one another. Look at verse 12. Peter, the apostle Peter says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Here's the great apostle Peter one of the greatest men who've ever lived, and he says, you know what, without Silas, I couldn't have even written to you. I needed him to help me, because no one is super uh, efficient. No one has all the gifts. No one can be totally independent and succeed. We can only do what God has called us to do if we're in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with God's people. So we're to help one another, and verses 13 and 14, we're to love one another. She who is in Babylon, probably the city of Rome, chosen together with you, 
the church there and the church here, sends you her greetings. So the church there greets you. So does my son Mark, that's John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So they send greetings, and then he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. We are to love one another. And then he ends, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter was Jewish, wasn't he? And when you meet a Jew, they say, shalom, peace. But peace doesn't simply mean that you lie in bed a few hours longer. Peace means life is as it ought to be. The emptiness in our hearts, the emptiness of life, that total dissatisfaction, it's gone. That confusion about what's the purpose of life, where's it all going, that's all gone. The hopelessness of life, it's all gone. And now we have life as it ought to be. You, us, the church of God, peace to all of you who are in Christ. In 1987, there was that terrible hurricane that hit uh, the southeast. And suddenly, seven oaks became no oaks because the oaks fell over. They wondered why so many of these magnificent trees didn't manage to stand firm. And they found it's because the climate here is so wet, so much rain, that the trees, great big trees, they didn't have to put their roots down very far in order to uh, get the moisture they need. So they just had a little root system for a great big trunk and branches. And so when this hurricane blew, the roots weren't firm enough to keep us strong. Well, there's a lesson there for us all, isn't it? We are to be strong, to stand firm, to stand fast, and we need to be making a point of resisting the devil and living to the glory of God. We can't do it in our own strength, so we need to rest in God's uh, grace towards us, and we're not to do it alone. We're to help one another and make sure our roots go deep into the grace of God so that whatever bashes into us, we stand firm and strong. Let's pray.